How to Build Self-Discipline, Resist Temptations, and Reach Your Long-Term Goals. Written by Martin Meadows. Narrated by John Guinepen. Download my other book for free. I want to thank you for buying my book and offer you my other book, just as long and valuable as this book. It's called Grit. How to Keep Going When You Want to Give Up. Completely free. You can find it at www.profoundselfimprovement.com slash howtobuildselfdiscipline. In Grit, I'll share with you how exactly to stick to your goals according to peak performers and science. In addition to getting Grit, you'll also have an opportunity to get my new books for free enter giveaways, and receive other valuable emails from me. Again, here's the link to sign up. www.profoundselfimprovement.com slash howtobuildselfdiscipline. Prologue. Life is easy when you live it the hard way. The only choices that make the difference between mediocrity and success are the hard choices. The choice to stop eating unhealthy food and change your eating patterns. The choice to get rid of your television set and spend time educating yourself. The choice to follow your dreams instead of conforming to the common idea of success that doesn't give you joy. The choice to keep fighting when you can barely stand on your feet. Self-discipline is the key that will help you make these hard decisions instead of sticking with what's easy and comfortable. People who focus on instant gratification, things that are safe, easy, and comfortable, rarely reach their long-term goals. How do you build self-discipline in your life? How do you resist short-term rewards in order to reach your long-term goals? This book is the answer to these questions. Although I've been a self-disciplined person ever since I can remember, thank you, Mom, I always seek more information and advice about making myself more effective at resisting temptations. I abstained from food for over 40 hours. For two months, I took two five-minute-long ice-cold showers every single day. I went on a strict diet and lost over 30 pounds in 12 weeks. On more than several occasions, I ran in shorts in negative 4 degrees Fahrenheit for 30 minutes. I lifted heavy weights to the point I saw stars in my head. I wrote over 100,000 words in a single month, which amounts to a 400-page long novel. Why the hell do I do all these crazy things? The answer is simpler than you think. No, I'm not a masochist. I do them to test my boundaries and discover how far my self-control goes. I have no doubt there's nothing more important to a successful life than to maintain a high level of self-discipline and keep growing on a daily basis. Hence, I challenge myself. I want to find out if I can resist the temptation to eat after fasting for almost two days, or go home when the frigid air makes my legs go numb. My experiments help me understand myself better and teach me useful things about self-discipline, things that can be applied to everyone's life. Don't worry, though. You don't have to make yourself go through my crazy experiments although it wouldn't hurt you. Your willingness to understand how self-discipline works and applying this knowledge to your life is all you need to change yourself. Whether you want to learn how to stick to your new eating pattern or transform your entire life, you'll find out how to do it in the following pages. Most of the advice shared in this book is based on scientific research referenced at the end of the book. To help you get the most out of the book in the shortest possible time, I decided not to go into details about each study. Instead of sharing with you the detailed why, with confusing and boring descriptions of studies, I will share with you the how. Chapter 1. The Fundamentals of Self-Discipline The 80-20 principle says that 80% of the results come from 20% of the efforts. In reality, you often need to know just one thing to achieve extraordinary results. Self-discipline is no different. It can also be simplified to one concept, automating your behaviors. 
You don't need any more self-discipline than you have now if you can learn how to establish new habits in your life. Default actions you take when tempted to lose sight of your long-term goals. Imagine you're on a diet and someone offers you a chocolate bar. Your long-term goal is to lose weight and become healthier, but the temptation staring straight in your face, a delicious bomb of sugar, lures you in almost as if it meant your life if you didn't eat it. You wriggle and squirm, trying to draw from your willpower and say no. Two minutes later, if not sooner, the chocolate bar is gone. After all, what the hell? One chocolate bar won't screw up your diet, right? The next time someone offers you a chocolate bar, you won't be able to resist again. Soon you'll drop your diet and go back to your regular eating habits. All because you haven't developed an automated reaction to someone offering you a chocolate bar. Now imagine your behavior is automated. You followed the 80-20 principle and introduced a habit in your life. At the sight of a chocolate bar, you become self-aware of your craving. But instead of giving in, you recognize the craving for what it is, a detour that will take you away from your long-term goal. You remind yourself you can eliminate the craving by eating a piece of fruit. All of it happens in an instant. It's as natural to you as brushing your teeth right after you wake up. You don't need to exert your self-discipline to do it, do you? Congratulations, your automated behavior has prevented you from breaking your resolutions. Self-discipline starts with habits. Research shows it takes anywhere from 18 days to 254 days to form a new habit. On average, it takes a little more than two months, 66 days, to make a new behavior automatic. Each day you repeat the behavior you intend to automate, you need less discipline to make it stick. 66 days later, it takes little discipline to maintain the habit. It becomes your automatic behavior. Charles Duhigg, the author of The Power of Habit, Why We Do What We Do in Life and Business, breaks down a habit into three elements, cue, action, and reward. If your cue is the sight of a chocolate bar in the store, your action is eating it, and your reward is the sweet taste of chocolate in your mouth. Your brain follows a simple plan. When it sees the cue, it makes you perform the action, usually with little awareness, in order to get the reward it craves. Fortunately, we can use the exact same process to form positive habits and make our behaviors automated. We can also make changes to our existing bad habits and transform them into good ones. To take the example with the chocolate bar, let's assume it's your craving for something sweet that drives you to eat it. The next time you get a craving to eat a candy bar, replace it with an apple. The first time you'll modify your behavior will be the hardest. That's when your self-discipline is needed the most. You may need to put into use some of the tips I'm going to share later in the book. Once you repeat the same behavior several times, it will get easier and easier to replace the bar with an apple. Several weeks later, you will grab an apple at the sight of a chocolate bar. It will become your new default. You won't even think twice about making a different choice. Developing new habits is the essence of self-discipline, but there's a better way to introduce new habits than doing it one by one. Focus on Keystone Habits Charles Duhigg talks in his book about keystone habits, patterns that lead to the transformation of several other areas of life. Unsurprisingly, one of the most powerful habits that lead to changing other patterns is regular physical activity. Studies show that regular physical activity may lead to reduced overeating, smoking, alcohol consumption, and risk-taking. Consequently, just one change in your daily routine can help you introduce numerous other healthy changes with little to no resistance. Positive things just happen and transform your life. Sign me up. Oh, sorry, I've already benefited from this phenomenon. Just like in the example in the cited research, exercise has also made me a better person. When I started weightlifting, I went from a weak and overweight person with an unhealthy diet to a healthy, strong, and fit male. Today, all the little unhealthy habits that were part of my life before I started exercising don't exist anymore, 
It's even better than that. I have a natural resistance to go back to an unhealthy diet or other bad habits that used to rule my life. When someone offers me a bag of potato chips, I don't need any discipline to say no. It's just not a part of my new personality to eat it. Another keystone habit that can help you make changes in your life with much less discipline than tackling each of them separately is food journaling. Research shows that people who journal their intake of food ate less and made healthier choices. Besides the habit of writing down what they ate during the day, none of the participants was encouraged to change any other habits. The change, as in the case of exercise, happened naturally. I also used food journaling to keep track of what I ate. It helped me understand the amount of energy and nutrients each food provides and how to use it either to lose weight or to build muscle. Both exercising and food journaling are two keystone habits that can transform your life. But what if you already have a healthy diet and exercise regularly? Keystone habits don't stop at just these two behaviors. You can apply Duhigg's findings in any other area of your life and look for other keystone habits. Here are some potential keystone habits you can develop in your life and expect a positive chain reaction. Number 1. Meditation There are at least 20 scientifically proven benefits of meditation that carry over to all areas of life. We'll talk about meditation in more detail in a later chapter. Number 2. Waking up earlier even waking 15 minutes earlier can bring a huge change in your life by letting you start your day with less stress and in no hurry. Reduced tension in the morning can help you improve your relationships with other people and become more effective at work. Number 3. Trying a new thing every single day. Stepping outside your comfort zone and doing things you have never done before will help you discover new hobbies, meet new people, and face your fears. Number four, saving money. No matter what you think about money and happiness, a couple of months of savings can make only positive changes in your life, leading to decreased stress and more financial safety that spills over to other aspects of your life. Number five, expressing gratitude for things you're thankful for. Studies show that writing down three things that went well on a given day led to steady increases in happiness. Is Willpower a Resource? Several authors, such as Kelly McGonigal and Roy Baumeister, describe willpower in their books as a limited resource that needs to be managed. Their findings, based mostly on Baumeister's research, seem interesting. Our willpower works like a muscle, and we can both strengthen it and fatigue it. Their model suggests willpower depends on our blood glucose. When it drops, so does our self-control. In other words, hungry people were more likely to make bad decisions. It didn't feel right to me. I follow an unusual eating pattern by fasting for 16 to 20 hours every single day and eating in a short 4- to 8-hour window. Yet, I don't magically give in to temptations during my period of fasting. If anything, it gives me more clarity. When researching information for this book, I found evidence that their advice might indeed be wrong. Robert Kurtzbaum and his colleagues believe that the hypothesis of willpower as a resource that can be resupplied with glucose is unlikely to be correct. A German study confirms Kurtzbaum's beliefs. Some studies even show that the amount of your willpower depends on whether you believe it's limited or not, and definitely not on your levels of blood sugar. Confusing, huh? When writing this book, I decided to adapt both points of view without the controversial get some sugar to restore your self-control. The second most important thing to learn how to live a more disciplined life is to understand how important self-awareness and motivation are and how they can help you stick to your resolutions, low blood sugar level or not. And that's what we're going to cover in the second chapter. Here's a quick recap of the fundamentals of self-discipline. On average, it takes 66 days to form a habit. Once you make a certain behavior automatic, you won't have to rely on your self-discipline to keep doing it. 
When presented with a specific cue, you will automatically react to it just like you trained yourself to. It's the simplest way to introduce more self-discipline in your life. Keystone habits give you the best bang for your buck. If you haven't already done so, introduce a habit to exercise on a regular basis. If it's already part of your routine, consider meditation, waking up earlier, expressing gratitude, saving money, or trying one new thing every day. Chapter 2. What is your why? The most basic definition of self-discipline is the ability to control your urges in order to meet your long-term goals. The key word here is your long-term goals, your reason why you say no to instant gratification. The second best thing to stick to the promises you made to yourself is to have a strong why and remind yourself of it when faced with a temptation. Let's imagine your goal is to get healthy and lose weight. That's a fine goal, but it won't work when someone tempts you with a piece of chocolate. This goal isn't specific enough, and it doesn't elicit a powerful emotional response. Let's switch it to something more specific. You want to lose 20 pounds by the end of the year to fit into your sexy red dress or suit. Replace it with any other favorite piece of clothing that makes you feel good. Imagine how light and young you will feel when you wear it. How happy and healthy you will be in control of your diet and your fitness. Now look at that piece of chocolate. Is it really worth it to give up this powerful vision for a short burst of sugar? Grab an apple instead and feel good knowing you're still on track. There's one thing missing in this technique, though. Pause and think about your why in full details. Think about what you hear what you smell, what else you feel. The goal is to give yourself at least a minute to take your mind off the craving. When you slow down, your body will restore its ability to resist a temptation. If you make an impulse decision when faced with a craving, your choice is rarely going to be aligned with your long-term goals. That's the technique you can use when you're faced with a temptation. It's not an effective way to motivate yourself on a daily basis, though. The common approach of visualizing your goal is more likely to get you off track than to help you get closer to your goal. Let's explore why. The proper way to visualize. UCLA researchers Leon B. Pham and Shelley E. Taylor conducted an experiment that compared standard visualization, imagining the moment you achieve the goal, with sports visualization that focuses on visualizing the process, used by the likes of Michael Phelps, one of the top Olympic swimming medalists. Their findings confirmed that visualizing the process in detail is more effective than imagining the goal, a single event. Imagining the goal, thanks to dopamine, more on that in a later chapter, lets you enjoy the feeling of reward without actually doing any work. Consequently, you lose the drive to strive to reach your objectives. How should you visualize your goals to become more disciplined then? You envision in little details each action you need to take in order to achieve your goal. If your goal is to become a healthy, fit, and strong person, you envision lifting weights and sweat trickling down your forehead. You think about cooking a healthy, tasty meal. You imagine yourself walking past the aisle with your favorite snacks and picking vegetables instead. You see yourself putting on your running shoes instead of turning on your television. Better yet, it should be gone from your house forever. In other words, you train your mind to prepare yourself for the challenges you're undoubtedly going to meet in the real world. The more often you picture all the necessary steps you need to take to achieve your goal, the easier it will be to make them an inherent, non-negotiable part of your life. When you switch your mind from event-oriented to process-oriented, magic will happen. Be selective in your life. Research suggests that students tend to procrastinate more on tasks regarded as unpleasant and, to a lesser extent, on tasks requiring skills they didn't believe they possessed. The solution? Become more selective in your life and focus on the essential tasks. Ideally, 
tasks you find both pleasant and that play off your strengths. People who want to become more disciplined often mistake self-disciplined with making themselves miserable. That's not what self-discipline is all about. The only use of increased self-discipline is to help you reach your goals you want to achieve. In other words, no amount of self-discipline will be enough to help you stick to doing things you hate. Here's where the issue of selectivity comes into play. We all have 24 hours in a day and limited energy. Spreading yourself thin by trying to accomplish too many things at once is suboptimal at best and will work against you in the worst case. That's why the first step to introduce more self-discipline into your life is to form keystone habits. In many cases, these simple behaviors will lead to huge changes that will lead to yet more transformation. The second most important thing is to ask yourself how your new goals fit into your general plan for your life. Are you doing them because you generally believe they will enhance your life or because that's something you're supposed to do? Here's an anecdote from my personal life. Like millions of other kids, when I finished high school, I was encouraged by my parents to go to college. Without a degree, you won't matter, they said. My love of entrepreneurship led me to pick business administration as my major. Month by month, I cared less and less. I found it harder and harder to attend classes and prepare for exams. I doubt you could find a student who cared less than I did, even though I'm a perfectionist by nature. Less than two years later, I dropped out. No amount of self-discipline could have helped me keep studying something that can only be taught in the real world. As much as my parents encouraged me to keep going, I couldn't force myself to spend several years studying things that couldn't even be applied in the real world. I vowed to never again do things that clash with my personal goals and views. It's a mismanagement of resources, time, and energy that could have been spent on something that would bring me closer to my goals. Constantly monitor yourself. Bad habits are difficult to overcome because they happen too quickly. Before we know it, we shove a chocolate bar down our throat. Your why is of no use if your habits leave you unable to take action. It's why it's so important to constantly monitor your thoughts and stay focused on the present moment. With the amount of distractions available at hand in the modern world, it's easy to forget about your resolutions. You grab a chocolate bar while texting a friend and wash it down with a can of a sugary drink while you update your status. Studies show that distracted shoppers are more likely to sample food at the sampling station in the supermarket. Consequently, they go home with more items than they originally wanted to buy, usually the total opposite of what they should have been eating. You can apply the findings from this study in your own life. If we're more likely to give in when we're distracted, it's important to pay attention to our thoughts and declutter our minds. I find meditation a useful tool to learn how to bring your focus to the present moment, but virtually every other type of practicing mindfulness will do the trick. The fewer distractions that cloud your judgment, the easier it will be to remind yourself of your why and stick to your resolutions. To make yourself more focused on the present moment, consider reducing the amount of time you spend on social media. I never check social media on my phone and check my email only on rare occasions when I'm waiting for an important reply. With fewer distractions, I'm able to better focus on the now and avoid mindless actions that would threaten my long-term goals. Let's recap, what is your why? The reason you want to achieve a particular goal can make or break your resolutions. With a powerful why, you'll have a much easier time resisting temptations. When faced with a craving, pause and remind yourself of the reason why you want to resist it. Giving in to cravings is an impulse. If you give yourself a minute or two to think, your self-control mechanism will kick in and help you avoid ruining your progress. Visualization sets you for success, but only if you visualize like the sports pros do, by envisioning every single step on your journey toward the goal. 
When you prepare yourself for all the actions you need to take, you will be more likely to stick to your resolutions than when you envision reaching the goal alone. Be selective with the goals you want to achieve. If your goal doesn't fire you up, no amount of self-discipline will help you achieve it. Live in the present moment. Reduce the number of distractions around you and become more mindful of your surroundings, especially when shopping. Chapter 3. Dopamine. Your enemy and your friend. Dopamine is a mind-numbing complex neurotransmitter whose role in our bodies I leave to real scientists to explain. What should interest you the most about dopamine is one of its pathways known as the mesolimbic pathway. Relax, I'm not going to describe the structure of the brain. This pathway starts in the cells deep in the middle of the brain and travels to the nucleus accumbens. If you want to understand the how, it doesn't really matter where the hell the nucleus accumbens is. A dopamine release that occurs this way leads to what most people consider the only role of dopamine, a spike that feels like motivation or pleasure. Drugs, sex, and exercise all lead to a surge in dopamine, which gives us a feel-good sensation. In reality, though, dopamine has little to do with happiness. Its release happens each time you're presented with a cue you associated with a reward. The mere sight of a cue, say a cigarette, will increase the level of dopamine in the nucleus accumbens. It produces a craving that, if not met, will lead to a decrease in dopamine. As all of us can attest, an unmet craving and subsequent drop in dopamine doesn't feel good. That's one of the reasons why it's so hard to resist a temptation. Your brain works against you, making you fixated on obtaining the reward signaled by the cue. What you get when you give in and satisfy the urge isn't even happiness. It's just relief from the anxiety of not getting what your brain wanted. What can we do to have a fair chance against dopamine? The most important technique is to be aware of a dopamine rush and cues that cause it. Self-awareness will help you mitigate the clouding effect of dopamine on your decision-making process. Dopamine responds to thought, sight, smell, and taste. It's an impulse that encourages you to satisfy a craving right here, right now. The effect of a dopamine rush is the strongest when the reward is right in front of you. The less available the reward is, the more chances you'll have of resisting it. If you always cave to temptation when you see a chocolate bar on your desk, get it out of your sight. The mere act of opening a drawer can be enough to help you exert your self-control. Better yet, get the chocolate bar out of your house and reward yourself only when you schedule it. If you're shopping, avoid wandering into the aisles with foods that will trigger your reward center. For increased self-discipline, eat before you go shopping to be less sensitive to the scents and sights of food. Dopamine seeks instant gratification, which is rarely aligned with your long-term goals. Fortunately, the mechanism that makes the temptation so irresistible gets weaker with time. Waiting on a craving for, say, 10 minutes will either make it go away completely or reduce its intensity. How do you deal with a dopamine rush when a thought about a cue appears in your mind? It all comes back to your big why. Acknowledge your craving and let the feeling wander through your body. Then switch your attention to the reason why you're resisting it. If possible, come up with a short-term reward that signals getting closer to your big goal. For instance, looking at yourself in the mirror and seeing a change in your appearance. No matter what you do, don't obsess about letting go of the thought of the temptation. Just like saying, don't think about a pink elephant, will make you think about one, so will, don't think about this tasty sweet piece of cake, keep you thinking about what you want to forget. Dopamine can be your friend, too. Although dopamine can work against you, it's not an evil neurotransmitter just waiting to find yet another temptation and break your long-term goals. Insert maniacal laughter. 
Its mechanism can also help you modify your bad behaviors and turn them into good ones. It can also help you develop new habits and make them automated, thus rendering the level of your self-discipline irrelevant, since the behavior will happen with no resistance. Dopamine motivates you to give in to a temptation because it expects a reward. It responds to a cue that your brain associated with a specific outcome, like the rush of sugar. Bad rewards aren't the only rewards your reward center craves, though. If you train your brain to react with a dopamine rush at the sight of your running shoes because of the reward coming right after it, say, a smoothie, you'll find yourself craving to get outside and jog. And the best part is that you don't even have to exert your self-control. It's your dopamine that motivates you to perform the task. The key to dopamine is that it produces the most powerful rush when the reward is in sight. If you want to form a habit to jog three times a week, you can associate it with drinking a smoothie when you go back home, or reading a book for an hour, or an afternoon nap. When your brain starts associating the cue, putting on running shoes, with the reward, a smoothie afterward, it will work to help get you off the couch. If you're separated from your goal by several weeks or several months, break it down into smaller actions and reward yourself for each one. Motivation will build up as you achieve small wins. A smoothie delivered right after the workout will motivate you much better than the vision of getting fit several weeks or months from now. Even something as simple as listening to your favorite music while running can be enough to help you stick to a new habit. How can you motivate yourself by using the promise of reward? What gets you going and can make an unpleasant chore easier to perform? Here are several rewards you can test to introduce new routines into your life with less resistance. Number one, food. Obviously, if you're trying to lose weight, you should reward yourself with healthy, low-calorie snacks, fruits, nuts, vegetables. Number two, experience. Experiences give us more lasting happiness than things. Consequently, it's better to motivate yourself with the promise of going out with your friends than buying a new piece of clothing or a new gadget, especially if you're trying to develop a habit to save money. Number three, music. Studies show that music reduces the perception of effort at low to moderate intensity of exercises by approximately 10%. The perspective of listening to your favorite tracks while jogging will reduce the resistance to get your body moving. Number four, a break. A common time management technique, the Pomodoro technique, helps with procrastination because it breaks down every task in a 25-minute block. After 25 minutes, you get a five-minute break. Scheduling such breaks helps you get to work. The promise of a break produces a burst of dopamine and reduces distractions. Number five, a nap. Motivate yourself to perform a task by promising yourself a short nap afterwards. A short 15-minute nap will increase your alertness and help you focus on other tasks for the day. Number six. Plan something pleasant. Since the vision of holidays is too far off in the future, a better alternative is to reward yourself with browsing through travel magazines or websites and researching potential destinations. Planning is half the fun and works like a charm to motivate yourself to finish a project. Number seven, relieve the tension. Get a massage, cuddle with your partner, meditate, Go to a sauna or take a walk. If you know there's a stress-relieving reward waiting for you right after finishing a given task, you'll have an easier time doing it. Number eight, novelty. Dopamine responds to novelty. If you have a hard time leaving home for the gym, come up with a new exercise you're going to try. Try a climbing wall instead of running on a treadmill or attending a different fitness class or changing your workout. If you struggle with sticking to your new eating habits, eat something new, but still healthy. Number nine, variation. Variation works similar to novelty. Mix things up, perform fewer reps and more sets, 
choose a different route for your daily jog. Add new spices to your staple meals. Small changes can be more than enough to encourage you to stick to your goals. Let's recap dopamine, your enemy and your friend. Dopamine makes you anxious to get a reward triggered by a specific cue. Identify what makes you crave things you want to give up and wait until your craving fades away. Don't obsess about getting rid of the thoughts of your desires from your head. It will be counterproductive and make you even more prone to give in. Accept all thoughts that come up in your head and let them go naturally without tension. Use dopamine to get you anxious to perform actions that will bring you closer to your goals. Associate a specific cue, like putting on your workout shoes, with the hope of a reward, like a healthy and tasty smoothie afterward. Chapter 4 Five Practical Ways to Train Your Discipline You can also introduce more discipline in your life if you make an effort to train yourself to control your urges and emotions. There are several main techniques to increase your self-control and become better at resisting instant gratification. In this chapter, we'll cover some of the most effective ways to do so. Meditation Meditation trains your mind to focus on one thing, your breath. It takes a lot of willpower to fight distractions and sit still, even just for a couple of minutes. Studies show that meditation induces white matter changes in the anterior cingulate, which leads to improved self-control. If you've always struggled with meditating because your mind constantly jumped from one thought to another, don't despair. It's a normal thing that happens to everyone. Even if you meditate for just five minutes a day and your mind constantly wanders, the mere practice of bringing your thoughts back to your breath will train your mind. Soon you'll be able to keep your focus for longer than just 20 seconds or so. If you want to introduce meditation in your life, start small. In the beginning, I don't recommend sessions that are longer than five minutes. It sounds like nothing. But when you sit with your eyes closed and try to focus on your breath, it feels like an eternity. How do you exactly meditate? While you can read a book or two about different types of meditation, it's not necessary for self-discipline purposes. The key in meditation is to focus on the present moment and sensations traveling through your body while you sit still. Here's a simple step-by-step -step explanation of how to do it. Number one. Sit still in a comfortable position. Don't stand up. Don't lie down. Sit in an upright posture. Forget about the cross-legged lotus position you know from movies, unless you're super flexible. The three most common positions for beginners are sitting at the edge of the chair with your back straight. Yes, it can be as simple as that. No need for exotic positions. Sitting cross-legged. It's easy and common among beginners but I find it too straining for my back. Hence, I prefer the third option. Seiza position. Fold your legs underneath your thighs and rest your buttocks on your heels. For more comfort, you can put a pillow under your rear. You can use a simple app to limit your session to five minutes or set an alarm on your phone. Just don't use an obnoxious loud alarm that will give you a heart attack. Number two. Close your eyes and focus on your breath. Simple counting. One. Inhale. Two. Exhale. One. Inhale. Two. Exhale. Works best. You can also count each breath until you reach 100. At first, don't expect to reach more than 20 before you lose your concentration. Once you get better, you can stop counting your breaths and focus on the general feeling in your body. Number three, focus on the sensation in your body as you inhale and exhale. Start from your feet and go upward, trying to relax every little muscle. You'll be surprised how much tension you store in certain parts of your body, including tension in places you weren't aware of before, such as your chin. If you lose focus, bring it back to your breath and the sensations in your body. You're not doing anything wrong if you lose your focus. 
It's a part of the process. Repeat the practice every single day. Morning works best for most people, but it doesn't matter when you do it as long as you keep it as part of your routine. Don't make your sessions longer until you become comfortable sitting for five minutes. It's better to add an additional minute every other week or so rather than get discouraged when you transition to 15 minutes and find yourself unable to focus. Cold showers. What? I'm not a sadist, I swear. Taking cold showers is an optional idea for people who are willing to try things outside the box. Why would cold showers improve your self-discipline? Take one, and you'll discover why. That's not enough to persuade you? Okay, here's a longer explanation. Taking cold showers forces you to endure a painful feeling for long-term benefits, which are well-documented. It takes a lot of willpower not to jump out of the shower or turn the knob back to the hot water. I took five-minute ice-cold showers for two months, and they helped me explore how my self-control works. The first time I took a cold shower, my entire body was numb afterward. A couple showers later, I discovered that it was the first one or two minutes that felt the worst. Once I endured the first 60 to 120 seconds, I could handle the remaining time with little pain, and sometimes even with enjoyment. Once I discovered that it's the first two minutes that are the hardest, I noticed a similar reaction while trying to resist a temptation. It's a reassuring thought that things get easier once you endure the first 120 seconds. I don't necessarily believe you have to keep taking cold showers for the rest of your life. After all, we don't build self-discipline to make our lives miserable. However, it's a good idea to take cold showers for a week or two as a short-term experiment. It will teach you a lot about your limits. You'll understand when you cross the line from I'm going to freeze to I can stand it to it's not that bad. Soon you'll be able to apply your findings in other areas of life, most notably during strenuous physical exercise. Fasting Every ninth month of the Islamic lunar calendar, millions of adult Muslims fast from the break of dawn until sunset. One of the reasons of this form of worship is the desire to practice self-control and train oneself to become a better person. Abstaining from food works in a similar way as taking cold showers, although it helps you build long-term self-discipline. A cold shower takes five minutes, while fasting takes at least 14 to 16 hours to benefit from it. The temptation to break the fast and eat is always there, up to the moment you get used to the new way of eating. It's not something that fits everyone, but it won't hurt to try it as an experiment and see how it affects your willpower. Studies show that intermittent fasting has beneficial effects on the cardiovascular and cerebrovascular systems and is a potential eating pattern for successful brain aging. It is also a powerful practice to develop your self-discipline. As with cold showers, you don't necessarily have to make fasting an inherent part of your life even fasting just once a week. For instance, you can stop eating at 6 p.m. one day and resume at 6 p.m. the next day. will help you practice your self-discipline. An additional benefit of fasting is that you will develop a healthier relationship with food and possibly lose some weight. You don't need to eat five meals a day to lose fat or stave off hunger. Neither does fasting reduce your cognitive performance, sleep, or mood. I fast for 16 to 20 hours every single day, and if anything, it has only improved my life. I no longer feel extreme hunger. I always find it funny when my friends die from hunger a couple of hours after eating a meal. And eating no longer controls my schedule. Sometimes, I don't eat until late evening. I recommend fasting at least occasionally. You can skip a meal or two, stop eating for a full day, or temporarily change your eating pattern. You can always go back to your usual patterns if you find it's not for you. Control small things and monitor yourself. Just like meditation can help you become more disciplined by focusing on the act of breathing, so can little challenges in your everyday life help you become better at self-control. For instance, many people have a tendency to slouch. It might be you right now. Make it a challenge to keep your back straight throughout the day. Do you have a habit of swearing when you're stuck in a traffic jam? 
resist the temptation, and switch your mind to something more positive. Additional self-control will help you manage your anger better. Do you leave your bed unmade when you wake up? Resist the temptation to leave it unmade and spend two minutes making it as perfect as if you expected someone to come over. Do you always want to prove other people wrong? Exert your self-control to put an end to this behavior and keep your tongue behind your teeth. You can also use various online tools and apps to track the small things in your life. Your spending habits, time spent browsing through entertainment sites, time spent watching TV. Self-monitoring will help you pick new challenges that will help you improve your self-control. Start with one little thing and get better at controlling it. Increase the difficulty by picking a thing that is a bit harder to control. Keep challenging yourself to gain more control over the little things in your life you usually do mindlessly. Go beyond the first feeling of fatigue. Sir Roger Bannister, who was the first man to run the mile in less than four minutes in 1954, said in 2000, It's the brain, not the heart or lungs, that is the critical organ. It's the brain. Studies show that the first feeling of fatigue is an emotion, not the signal that your body is spent and can't go on any longer. Consequently, you can learn how to exert more self-discipline when you decide to go past the first feeling of fatigue and see how much further you can push yourself. Obviously, the easiest area where you can introduce this finding is exercise. If you go to the gym, don't be afraid to go past your original limits and see if you can push a little bit more. Make it a priority to do it in a safe way, though, with the proper form and a spotter to help you. I do it from time to time at the gym, and it helps me explore my true limits and discover that frequently it's only my mind that limits me from achieving more. If you run long distances, push yourself to beat your personal record and finish your usual distance in a shorter period of time or run farther. As with weightlifting, don't hurt yourself in the process. Don't push so far that you injure yourself. Going beyond the first feeling of fatigue will help you move your limits and increase your capabilities to control yourself under overwhelming pressure. After all, if you can push through extreme exhaustion and complete yet one more rep with a heavy bar on your back, you can also resist the temptation to eat a chocolate bar, right? Let's recap five practical ways to train your discipline. Meditation helps you train your self-discipline by forcing you to focus only on your breath. It also teaches you how to resist distractions and live in the present moment. If you want to begin meditating, start small with five-minute long sessions. Cold showers, although extremely painful during the first minute or two, can help you deal with challenges better. Consequently, you'll be more in control when faced with an overwhelming temptation to give in. Fasting even infrequent, will help you better control your urges. It's especially useful for people who want to change their relationship with food and become better at controlling cravings. Learning to control small things can help you control bigger things. Treat it like a workout and start from monitoring simple things, then go on to harder things. Test your boundaries. The first feeling of fatigue is your body's reaction under stress but it doesn't mean you can't go on any longer. Push your limits to see how much more self-control you can squeeze out of yourself. Chapter five, self-discipline or its lack thereof is contagious. Ross Hammond conducted a review of research on the role of social influence in the obesity epidemic. His findings confirm that social influence is a significant factor in obesity. In other words, our friends and family can infect us with obesity. If they can make us prone to gaining weight, they surely can influence other areas of our lives too. Motivational speaker Jim Rohn once famously said that we are the average of the five people we spend the most time with. Although his saying wasn't based on any scientific proof, it's hard to argue with him. Family and friends influence all aspects of our lives. We copy their sayings, behaviors, habits, 
and opinions. Self-discipline isn't different. If all your friends spend hours in front of the television and their muscles haven't experienced any real exercise for years, it's likely you're similar to them. If they have problems with obesity, chances are you have them too, and have a habit of eating out at fast food joints together. If you want to introduce more self-discipline in your life, consider surrounding yourself with the energy conducive to a positive change. It doesn't mean you have to drop all your friends, though. While your friends and family have a huge influence over who you are, you can use books and the internet to surround yourself with a different kind of energy. For example, none of my friends is particularly crazy about exercise. In fact, I'm the only person who's been religiously going to the gym three times a week for a long time. The habits of my friends might have influenced me, but they didn't. It happened for a simple reason. I surround myself with a lot of success-oriented people through various online forums and groups. Although I don't know any of these people better than my close friends, the mindset of these online friends is contagious and motivates me to strive for more. The challenges other people set for themselves and share online inspire me to work on my own self-discipline and push my boundaries too. I'm sure that if it wasn't for the internet, I would have had a much harder time resisting the temptation to do things the easy, comfortable way that leads to instant gratification, but little beyond it. I have a childhood friend who started hanging out with less than ambitious individuals. A couple of months later, his everyday life was pretty much the copy of the lives of these people, playing computer games, hanging out in the neighborhood doing nothing, and consuming unhealthy substances on a daily basis. Only when he cut ties with these people a couple years later did his life advance. He got back on track to make positive changes in his life, and his self-discipline improved so much that he was able to get rid of most of the bad habits contracted from these people. As they say, who keeps company with the wolves will learn to howl. Have quality friends. The 80-20 principle mentioned in the first chapter can be applied to our relationships too. 20% of your friends bring 80% of the social enjoyment. If you think about your social network, you can surely pinpoint in a few seconds who gives you the greatest joy. If you're reading this book, it's probably people who share your growth-oriented mindset. On the other side of the spectrum are the people who have a negative influence on your life. Oftentimes, you don't even like these individuals that much, but you keep meeting with them out of a bad habit. You know who I'm talking about. People who constantly complain. People who blame others for everything. People who criticize you for trying to reach your goals. If you'd like to become more self-disciplined, reduce the amount of time you spend with people who lack discipline. Their behavior, even if you don't condone it, can easily affect you. To give you a simple example, if you see a huge portion of french fries on your friend's plate, it might make you think you're doing quite well with your new diet. It can tempt you to make an exception and grab some fast food too, to your friend's joy and to your detriment. On the other hand, if you hang out with people whose habits you'd like to introduce in your life, they will make it easier to achieve this goal. If all of your friends attend a gym, it's much easier to form a similar habit. Have a self-disciplined role model. Some people are lucky to have a mentor in their lives. Others have to find their own role model, usually through books. In both cases, though, you can have a person whose habits and qualities you'd like to have. For instance, one of my role models is Richard Koch, British multimillionaire famous for his books about the 80-20 principle. Every time I'm tempted to complicate my life and focus on volume instead of quality, I remind myself of what he would do. He's just one of my mentors who, unknowingly, helps me stick to my resolutions and keep traveling the path leading to the destination I set for myself. Who is your self-disciplined role model? Whose values, habits, and qualities would you like to possess? It doesn't have to be anyone famous. Your family members can be great role models, too. Now, what would this person do when tempted to break her resolution? What would she say if she saw you eating that chocolate bar instead of sticking to your new eating habits? 
have a self-disciplined partner. If you're trying to form a new habit one of your friends also wants to introduce into her life, partner up with her to keep each other motivated and accountable. Your self-discipline, combined with the self-discipline of your friend, will result in a synergic effect that will keep you going even during days when you'd like to give in. Ignore haters. Every time you set out to accomplish something in your life, you'll use your self-discipline to help you say no to instant gratification and keep the big picture in your head. Unfortunately, with accomplishments come haters, people who dislike you because they're jealous of your success. These individuals don't even have to be some anonymous people from the internet. It might as well be a member of your own family or one of your friends. Instead of making it blatantly obvious, they may hide their contempt with jests. While tempting to respond to these people, it's a good self-discipline exercise to focus on your goals and pay no attention to such distractions. The time and energy you would spend trying to straighten haters out, not going to happen, is better spent on bettering yourself. I like to say there's always something good in everything bad that happens to us. Haters are no different. I use the disbelief or jealousy of other people as motivation to stick to my long-term goals. To give you an example, if someone would tell you with viciousness you're looking today like you looked a couple of months ago, despite your regular workouts, you could use it as fuel for your workouts. You could strive to prove this person wrong, but not with the intention of shoving it in her face. Quite the contrary, you would find the joy in accomplishing your goals despite others. Like they say, the best revenge is living well. If there's anybody in your life who's driving you crazy with her nasty remarks, channel your energy toward your goals. As an additional exercise, you'll learn how to resist the temptation to argue with someone. Nothing good ever comes out of arguing. Let's recap self-discipline, or its lack thereof, is contagious. People around you can affect your self-discipline. If you hang around people who exhibit negative habits, you're more likely to develop them in yourself. If you spend time with growth-oriented people, you're more likely to grow along with them. Find a self-discipline role model or get a self-discipline partner. Each time you're tempted to give in, remind yourself of how disappointed your role model or partner would be if she saw you losing to your urges. Ignore people who'd like you to fail because it would prove they are failures. If it gets you going, use their negative energy to motivate yourself to achieve your goal. Chapter 6. Seven Traps That Challenge Your Self-Discipline There are many traps that can challenge your decision to become more self-disciplined and resist certain temptations. In this chapter, we'll cover some of the most common dangers for your self-control. Your future you isn't as different as you think. Studies show that due to a phenomenon known as temporal discounting, people value immediate gains over future rewards. Moreover, they consider their future selves as strangers. As a result, you may fail to save money for the future. After all, why save money for a stranger? And introduce other changes that would benefit you in the future. The rate at which people trade current dollars for future dollars is known as the personal discount rate. A high personal discount rate is positively correlated with impulsiveness. Research shows that heroin addicts have higher discount rates for delayed rewards than non-drug users. For a more common everyday example, non-drug users with a high discount rate would rather get one chocolate bar now than two in an hour. A study performed on the real-world data from the military drawdown program of the early 1990s showed that people faced with a choice to get an annuity and a lump smaller sum now chose the latter option, even though they would receive at least 17% less money by choosing instant gratification. Studies conducted by Elke U. Weber and colleagues suggest a solution to this problem. Instead of thinking about the reasons why you should choose instant gratification, think about the future reward first. 
This weird trick switches the order in your mind, making you choose between future reward and accelerating consumption. When it's easier to resist the reward you can get now because you don't want to lose the vision. Instead of instant gratification and delaying consumption, when it's harder to resist the temptation since you don't want to lose the instant reward. For instance, when you see a chocolate bar on your desk, think about the future reward first, a healthy body and mind, and then compare it to the present reward, a brief burst of energy. Your mind